There's an article by Matt Gonzalez this year. Um, the title, America is Lonely, the Epidemic Few Are Talking About. I don't know if you're lonely. Maybe you know somebody who is. And um, we're going to kind of walk through that a little bit in these last few verses of Philippians. It says the United States is experiencing a loneliness epidemic as nearly half of Americans feel lonely or left out. In his uh, 2008 book, Outliers, author Malcolm Gladwell wrote about a small town called Rosito, located 30 miles north of Allentown in the foothills of eastern Pennsylvania. For years, Rosito primarily comprised of Italian immigrants who lived in multi-generational homes. Um, Gladwell writes about them. The town made national news in the 1950s for the low rates of heart disease relative to those of neighboring towns with more American traditions. Social scientists were puzzled by what they were finding in Rosito. And the people of Rosita, this is good to know, they really didn't eat healthy. Um, they cooked with lard instead of olive oil. Uh, their meals typically consisted of cheese and fried meatballs. Their foods were known to raise cholesterol levels. And many of the townspeople worked in foundries and struggled with obesity. But... Their emotional health flourished. How could that be? Well, as a close-knit group, the town of Rosito seldom felt socially isolated. The reason being, for years, the town had a reputation for friendship, for social activities, for supporting one another. When somebody was down, either your neighbor or a family member would come by and pick you up. And encourage you. So, in other words, the town of Rosito, the people that lived there were rarely lonely. Gladwell writes, You had to appreciate the idea that community, the values of the world we inhabit, and the people we surround ourselves with, has a profound effect on who we are. And that's true. Um, Loneliness, there's another article by Influence Magazine, rises as church attendance declines. More self-identified Christians are skipping services. Church attendance among U.S. Christians is declining even as loneliness is on the rise. Barna, who does all the research, came up with that. They said the increase in loneliness reported by Americans is likely due at least in part to their disengagement from communities of faith. So the de-churching of America is not the only factor making people lonelier than ever, but it's certainly a factor, Barna wrote. And um, we're seeing that, aren't we, in our culture today? There's a lot of lonely people, and uh, it doesn't have to be. There's a church in southern France called the House of Many Lamps, and it was built back in the 16th century. They had no provision for artificial lighting except for the receptacle at every seat, pew, for the placement of a lamp. So in the evenings, as people came to church, each would carry their own lantern with them. And when they entered the church building, 
They would place their lamp in receptacle as they began to worship. And if somebody stayed away, their place remained dark. If more than a few stayed away, the darkness seemed to spread throughout the auditorium. It took the regular presence of every member to illuminate the sanctuary. And when you stay away, when that light of yours is not allowed to shine, you leave a spot of darkness. You start taking off a series of Sundays and darkness begins to fall across the house of many lamps. In Europe, the darkness has nearly engulfed a continent that once was dominated by Christendom, a continent that gave us Luther, Wycliffe, Wesley, Spurgeon, and so many others. The absence of light also produces a sense of cold emptiness. And I think, wouldn't it be cool if we handed out lanterns, you know? There's a, there's a good movie. Uh, it's one of my favorites called Life with Father. And um, um, the pastor of the church where his wife goes um, wants to build a new sanctuary. And with that, you buy your own pew. You put your name on that pew. That's where you sit all the time. We kind of do that here too, don't we? Not really, not really. Uh, so anyway, um, it's interesting, you know, where you had a pew with your name on it and the church of many lamps where you would just put your lantern and it would light up the auditorium. It's true. Maybe you don't realize it, but when you're not here, something is missing. Really. It's true. And that's why we really encourage Life Church, man, that you would be consistent. We all would be consistent in plugging in on Sundays, Wednesdays, life groups, etc., because that will make a difference in our relationships with one another. Plus, it will help eliminate that loneliness factor that so many are experiencing in our country today. So a way to combat that is to plug in and connect with one another, the body of Christ. So Proverbs 18.1, loners who care only for themselves spit on the common good. It's from the message. What we find interesting is that people who are socially disconnected are between two and five times more likely to die from any cause than those who have close ties with family, friends, and other relationships. So there is a connection that we need to have relationships. We need to connect with people. And uh, as we walk through these verses this morning, we're going to tie that knot and expose the fact that, man, the Apostle Paul had a group of men around him that helped prevent loneliness from resting on his life, even though he was under house arrest. So let's go to Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 20. Now all glory to God our Father, forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, Christians, we are connected in a very unique way with one another. Romans 12.5 says, So it is with Christ's body, we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So this idea that when we go to church, it's all about me, you know, what I want, um, what gets me fired up, that's not true. It should be I'm plugging into a local congregation because, as Romans 12.5 says, we all belong to each other. See, we're all to encourage each other. We're all to support each other. So it's not just about what I want. It's about the body of Christ, the benefit for that. And that's what really matters. So Paul, as he looks, uh, as we look at verses 21 through 22, we see he's fired up about greeting. He's kind of uh, finishing this letter to the church at Philippi. And uh, there's a connection there with people basically saying, hey, Paul says, I'm greeting you. Uh, my f- brothers are greeting you, and it goes on and on. So, number one, in your notes, sing praise to your God. I, you know, I can't let this go. I don't know if you noticed, I've kind of brought this up every Sunday for the last few weeks because I get fired up over singing. Yeah. I really do. I get fired up over it. And um, the fact that when you sing loud... And you sing with, you know, you're pushing the diaphragm. There is something about that. That um, it's cool, man. It's cool to sing to the Lord God Almighty. Because he's worthy. You know, we shouldn't come to church and hum or think about, you know, I'll think about those worship songs, you know, the lyrics on the screen. No, we should become engaged because there is something about plugging in and singing that can make a difference in your life, even your mental health. So, sing praise to your God. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Remember, Paul is uh, taking uh, verses 10 through 20. In chapter 4, he's thanking the church at Philippi for their financial support. In verse 19, he said, this same God who takes care of me is going to supply all of your needs as well because you've been faithful in your giving. There's a promise there. And because of that promise, Paul really can't contain the excitement that he is experiencing. And in verse, so in verse 20, he goes into singing a praise service under house arrest, man. He just lets it rip. That's pretty cool. So, Daryl Dash uh, read the book, um, Sing Loud, Die Happy. It's a Christian book, an exploration of how God's gift of song is meant to change us. And Jim Thompson uh, wrote this book, and... um, Daryl Dash says, and yet I'm not sure that many of us have given much thought to why singing matters to us as Christians. And really, we should be spending some time in that. Singing should matter. You know, even as you prepare, you know, on Sunday morning to come in, man, 
you just remind yourself, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing. I'm going to sing loud. Don't, don't feel bad yet, man. It's, um, listen to what Thompson concludes in his book. God made you to sing. Tons of people sweat and fret, worrying if they're rightly following God's will. But guess what? If singing is one of the most repeated commands in the Bible, and if the divine importance of song has been repeatedly affirmed in history, you can know with confidence that you're doing God's will if you just open your mouth and sing. Yes. It's not a trick. It's not legalism. You know, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be legalism. You know, I have to sing. You know, I have to, you know, I want to get brownie points for God. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. You don't have to sweat and fret. He's not looking for excellence. He's looking for faithfulness. He knows what's best for us. So why would we not lean in and lift up our voices? All right? So Life Church, man, let's lift up our voices. When we sing, just like you did this morning, and uh, we want to encourage you to, to continue to do that as well, man. Um, so Paul's heart, he's connected to these, this church at Philippi because they have sacrificially given their finances to keep his ministry rolling. And then he is so fired up over that. And um, so Paul is under house arrest, and he's worshiping God even in that environment I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, can you imagine how you would feel about freedom of worship if it was ever denied you? Joel Rosenberg tells about a rapidly growing church in Iran. It's made up of converts of Islam. And the pastor broadcasts his weekly worship service and teaching via satellite. And people are eager in... Um, I ran to hear those sermons and the lessons because they worry about what would happen if the secret police were to catch them attending a Christian church. So check this out. They don't dare play Christian music in their homes or sing praise songs aloud because neighbors could turn them in. Okay? So they depend completely on the pastor's broadcast for their worship and fellowship in the word. That's what keeps them rolling. And look at the freedom that we have, man. Um, I, I do like it when I'm home alone where I can crank the music, you know? Because some people in my house... <laughs> it's too loud, man, you know? It's too loud. So, so I do like that. I like to crank it, and I like to sing. And um, just like you do in your car, many of you do that. You have the luxury of rolling your windows down and just cranking it, man. So that's, that's what we, we encourage you. And, man, in Iran, they don't have the luxury, you know, of cranking it. We do in America. We should take full advantage of it, friends. So number two, um, Paul starts this four different groups of really greeting uh, the church at Philippi. And he starts with himself. Number two, I greet. Greeting, give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. So you see right off the bat, Paul starts with himself. He says, give my greetings to God's holy people. 
Where? Back at Philippi, 800 miles away. I'm greeting them. And um, uh, I don't know if you've noticed when you came in today, we have, we have greeting teams, man. And they're strategically placed because when people come in to Live Church, we want them to feel welcome, right? And I, I, when I, our first four kids were young, we, we were on vacation. And on Sunday morning, we went to a church and um, I had to make the greeter feel welcome. And how many of you know that's not right? It shouldn't be that way. And so at Live Church, we want to create an environment where people feel welcome, you know? Where they, they kind of sense the, the presence of God. They realize that there's relationships going on here that are healthy, they're vibrant. And we want to encourage that, you know? So... That's what, that's what it's all about. We're, we're, it's an opportunity that, you know, if God brings people in, we have a responsibility to greet them, right? And it's, and it's not, you know, hey, um, shake the hand, that's cool, but take opportunities to get to know people, you know? Drill down and, and find out what's, what's ticking in their lives. And... Um, why? Because it's not about us, it's about somebody else that God has brought into your life that you can make a difference with. So, John sixteen twenty seven. for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me, that's Jesus, and believe that I came from God. So, for the Father himself loves you, and I get it, there's a lot of followers of Christ, there's a lot of people in the world today, they don't feel worthy enough for God to love them. But when you read John 16, 27, this is true. This is a fact that the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me. And that word love means filio, to love, regard with affection, to delight in, to cherish, to kiss, God loves you so much. And man, we want to encourage you to embrace that as well. Because to me, that's one of the most liberating things in an individual's life is when they allow God to love them, that their identity is found in the love of Christ. Man, it's liberating. And it, and it, it just frees you to love other people freely, you know? You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to set up circumstances, man. You love people the way God loves you. That's a good thing to do. So, and we see that God, God, God's holy people. So not only does God love us, but we're part of God's holy people. And that's another thing that people get caught in the weeds with. You know, they don't feel holy. They don't feel good enough. But here, Paul writes to each of God's holy people. What's that about? All who belong to Christ Jesus. So when you put your faith in, in Jesus, when you put your trust in him, you become part of God's holy people. Why? Because he forgives you all your sin and he puts his righteousness inside of you. You are a carrier 
of the presence of God wherever you go. And that's exciting. So Paul says God's holy people, and what does that mean? It's, it's translated set apart ones, sanctified ones, holy ones. Paul realizes that it's God who makes you holy. You don't have to try and become holy, you know, going through all these different hoops. God is the one who makes you holy. And you celebrate that. All who belong to Christ Jesus. So by Paul calling the Philippians God's holy people, what's he saying here? He reminds them on how they should be living their lives. When you put your faith in Christ, Jesus forgives us, but the the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus as you live, day by day, week after week, year after year, that is our goal. We become more like him. And that's what Paul's drilling down on here. We are God's holy people. And that's how we should be living our lives. Not with compromise, but pursuing Christ and modeling his character. And we do it well through his help. Number three, you greet, verse 21b, the brothers who are with me send you their greetings. So Paul starts with himself. Here's the second greeting about the brothers And Paul is endorsing the fact that he's got a group of men around him. Even though he's under house arrest, he's got the freedom to let these guys come in after they ring the doorbell. The the door opens and his, his, his group of men come in and they have a good time talking about Jesus and what Jesus has been doing in their lives and encouraging each other. And supporting each other. And so even though Paul was under house arrest, he had a group of men around him. Literally, what that means in, in uh, the brothers who are here with me, that means they are the with me brothers. You heard me say that two weeks ago. The with me brothers. Isn't that cool? Do you have a group of men around you that are with me? You know? The with me brothers. So, Wednesday night, after, after the teaching, there was a guy, uh, he and I had a conversation, and he started talking about how much he appreciates the Monday night life group with the men and how that has helped him and how that's helped him keep his spiritual balance no matter what comes his way. So that was cool. And then... Um, Thursday, I was talking to another dude, and he said, you know what? The worship Wednesday night and the teaching was so good. It encouraged me. And so he's a brother. I'm a brother. This other dude's a brother. Hey, you're the with me brothers, man. And that's the connection that Paul's talking about. The with me brothers, man. You stand with me in the good times and the bad times, and you support me. So that's... It's just cool to see a live church, you know, the dudes supporting the with me brothers. And ladies, you've got that too. It's just the men aren't part of it. <laughs> and you're happy about that. You should be. Yeah. The late author Stephen Ambrose um, wrote extensively about World War II and the generation of young men who returned after the war was over. Ambrose's own father returned from the war 
he put up a backboard in his backyard and a whole squad of ex-GIs in his neighborhood would come over regularly to play basketball. You see? Why? Because there's a connection there. When you fight together, there's a bond that's created. Even, and even though the war was over, these men would come over and play basketball. Why? Because they wanted to be together. And Ambrose goes on to say, you know what, I can't remember their last names, but I do remember how much they loved each other. And that's the way it should be in the body of Christ as well, right? So if you're lonely, you know, if you're dealing with loneliness, I just want to encourage you, man, to plug in and become part of a group and connect one with another. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, 24, Paul writes, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Here it is. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. That's fun. Really, it's fun for the good of others. Um, And Paul was saying, man, the with me brothers, thumbs up. And they encouraged me. There were times when I was discouraged, they would come in, man, and speak life over me. And um, that re- those relationships are so beneficial. So though, even though Paul was a prisoner in Rome, he was allowed to have, you know, these guys come in. And uh, what a difference they made in his life. Kenny Luck, who uh, has a ministry to men, said, I have seen firsthand how the lack of communication and connection among men has created a culture of spiritual castaways. Pulled off course in their walks with God, not reporting their spiritual or personal status to anyone, no one knows them or where they are with the Lord. So their spiritual compasses are definitely off track. Time passes, and when the typhoons of temptation strike, they drift way off course. Unfortunately, many men do not even have the chance to get rescued because they were never checking in with anyone. What's Kenny Luck writing about? He's writing about lonely men where those relationships have not been established. There's nobody checking in with them to see how they're doing spiritually. So he continues, here's what is working against us. We are traveling through life unconnected and unexamined, but we're careful to maintain an image suggesting that we're okay when really we're not. And Satan exploits that isolation. Kenny concludes, we have watched the spiritual progress of thousands of men, the ones who are connected to a men's small group, reach their spiritual goals much faster than those who remain spiritually shipwrecked and isolated. Instead of being a castaway, God's man is a supporting cast behind you. Yeah, and so that's it. That's it. Paul had a group of eight men that would check in with him. Maybe they lived in a, they would stay at a hostel down the street, but they had the liberty to come in and visit him over time. And Paul was saying, man, I am so fired up over you guys. And it's kind of like, as Paul is writing this letter, those brothers are saying, come on, Paul, read that to us again. Because we want to send our greetings to the church back at Philippi too. We feel a part of that congregation. So, 
For the church of Jesus Christ, it's always we over me. Right? And as athletes say, there's no I in team. Right? There's no I in team. For all you spelling bees out there, award winners, there is no I in team. You know, um, when you look at uh, Luke Fickle, who's the new coach to the uh, Wisconsin Badger football team, coming in from Cincinnati, Jim Leonard, who was the uh, you know, defensive coach and the interim coach while they were waiting. He was, I think he was really hoping to get that job as the coach and he was put on the table, you know, for Luke Fickle. When you look at Jim Leonard, he could have really had his feelings hurt. He could have been offended. He could have said, you know what, I'm not sticking around here. I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, I'll get the respect. But you look at the character of Jim Leonard, he is sticking around. He's staying to be part of that team. And as a defensive coach, I tell you what, man, I take my hat off to Jim Leonard. And that's the way it should be in the body of Christ. You know, it's not, it's not about me. It's about we. Yeah. So number four, the church greets. Verse 22a, and the rest of God's people. So notice the progression here. It's Paul, it's the brothers, and now all the rest of God's people send greetings too. This is the third greeting. Paul is um, putting the searchlight on, and um, he's saying, and the church is expressing their gratitude to you at Philippi. All the rest of God's people send you their greetings too. The church, the church, man, a healthy church. Tom Rayner wrote an article recently, Four Words of a Dying Church. I've done my time. (laughs) I've done my time. He says those four words sound like a prison sentence. (laughs) I've done my time, man. You know, serving, that should never be the case. As we serve Christ together, we, I don't. As far as I know, that's not happening here at Life Church, man. People love to serve; they really do. They model that servant's heart so well, man. And so, the danger of churches out there, you know, where the mentality is, "I've done my time, I've served," you know, I deserve a break today. No, as a as a part of the body of Christ, we should always be serving. Because there is joy. There is joy in serving the body of Christ as we serve Christ together. So, Paul is talking about Romans 16. Who are these believers in Rome? If you go to the book of Romans, chapter 16, you'll notice that Paul wrote Romans even though he had never been to Rome. It wasn't until three to four years later that, um, uh, that he wrote the letter to the Philippians. And so now he's, he's talking about this church in Rome. And so you see that connection there. Even though he's under house arrest, the church in Rome, those people have come to visit him and he stayed in touch with them. And so he's celebrating the church in Rome, even though he can't go to the church service. 
And that's the good news, man. As Paul talks about three to four years later, Paul arrived in Rome as a prisoner. And there he's connecting with the church in Rome. God put him there for a purpose. And when you read Romans 16, you see all these names that Paul never met these people, but he heard about them. And he's putting his stamp of approval on them because he's heard good things of their faithfulness at church. So when the economic bottom fell out in 2008, the New York Times had a headline, Bad Times Draw Bigger Crowds to Churches. The article studied the spikes in attendance of evangelical churches in America during every recession cycle over the past 40 years. Each time, growth jumped 50% in the wake of bad news before settling back in its routine as people became more comfortable. You see, there's a danger, friends, that we become comfortable in the way we want to do life. And Paul is saying, man, as a body of Christ, you know, starts with me, starts with my brother, starts with the church in Rome. And we need to care one for another. We should never become comfortable in our spiritual temperature, but keep pressing on in our walk with the Lord. Paul was not comfortable. Number five, the new believers greet. So this is the fourth and final segment that Paul's getting to. Um, so he's talking to, to him, to the brothers, to the church in Rome, and now and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. So the new believers are greeting. What's going on? Paul's under house arrest. He's chained to a praetorium guard. He's talking to this dude about Jesus. Some of these men put their faith in Christ. They go back to the locker room and they talk to their peers about Christ. So something was going on in Caesar's household. Good things. And you think about Paul, you know, he could have a crusade in the, in the, in the auditorium in, in Rome and bring in all the praetorium guards, but would they show up? Probably not. So God puts Paul under house arrest so he can have an audience with one of those men at a time and be able to explain the gospel to him. So they were putting... The gospel was running rampant through Caesar's household. Good things were happening. And if you know Caesar, this dude was brutal, you know? He was a brutal leader. But even so, the gospel was spreading through the corridors of that palace. And it's going on today as well, all around the world. The gospel is powerful. And it's life transforming when we allow it to change our lives. So, these men and women, they served Caesar in the royal palace. Some of them were cooks. Some of them were musicians, custodians, accountants, judges, on and on. But the good news of the gospel was being spread through the palace, and people were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was excited about that. And he says, all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. Isn't that cool? Yeah, you'd say, man, it's hopeless. You know, Caesar, that guy is, he, he, he's so evil. But God, God doesn't uh, use that to slow him down. You know, when the gospel's proclaimed, it changes lives. 
even in in the palace of Caesar. And number six, live to extend God's grace. Live to extend God's grace. Verse 23, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Paul's concluding this letter with this request to God on their behalf, that they would experience God's grace. Grace, the unmerited, undeserved favor in the lives of God on their behalf. Hebrews 12, 15, I look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. That is so good. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. I tell you, man, the longer I'm a follower of Christ, the more I realize the grace of God that's been poured into my life. And it really liberates me to extend grace to people around me as well. You know, when you experience that grace of God so freely, man, that's powerful. Ephesians 2, Paul writes, God saved you by his grace when you believed. He saved you by his grace and you can't take credit for it. Why? Because it's a gift from God. Aren't you glad for that? It's a gift from God. Man, you can't earn it. You can't, you can't buy it. It's a free gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us could boast about it. Human nature, man, we love to boast, love to brag. Look at me, you know, put the light on me. Paul says, no, this gift of salvation is a free gift. It's God's grace that saved us. That's great news. So Paul says, be with your spirit. Your body's not eternal. Your spirit is. When you die, you're going to, that your spirit will go to heaven to be with the Lord. Your body won't because your body's mortal. You will get an immortal body to live forever and ever in heaven. What a day that's going to be. An immortal body, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, man. And Paul is saying, your spirit. Hey, Paul is saying, man, if you die for your faith in Jesus Christ, your spirit's going to go to heaven, man. It's going to live forever. It's going to go right there. And um, Paul's encouraging the people, man, don't get discouraged on what's going on in the world. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Because heaven is your home. Kyle Eidelman, pastors in Louisville, Kentucky, tells a story about Craig who was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Not long after, Craig went to be with the Lord. Kyle writes, if God's grace is greater than pancreatic cancer, why didn't God heal Craig and give him more time with his family? You know what I like about that? It's transparent, isn't it? We think it, we might as well say it because it hurts. And it's true. And as I prepared for the funeral, Kyle says, I went online and read a blog Craig and his wife had started as a way to process what they were going through and communicate with others about it. After a few minutes of reading that first blog entry, I got up and shut my office door so I could cry my way through it. I was so moved by the raw honesty and especially their faith. 
I eventually came to Craig's final entry. This is what it says. Just looking at myself in the mirror, I can tell my downward spiral has begun. I'm at my all-time low of about 118 pounds. I have an awkward time shaving my face because it's pure bone, and I feel like I'm having to shave every bony contour my face has. My yellow eyes constantly remind me my jaundice is settling back in. This pretty much means things are going to eventually start shutting down. There's nothing out there that makes sense for me to do to treat this that we haven't already looked at yet. The encouragement I have that my eternal life will be in heaven and that I will be cancer-free soon puts a smile on my face. I am very motivated about what the future has to offer me, that there is a lot of reason to be excited. And Kyle writes, I finally arrived at the very last sentence. It's three words, followed by five explanation points. Craig's final words were, God is good. God's grace was poured into Craig. And this morning, God's grace is here for you as well. And if you're lonely, if you've been dealing with isolation, Paul recognized what that can do in a culture. And he had a group of men around him to combat that. And I want to encourage you this morning, man, don't stay isolated. Get involved. Plug in. Let God pour his grace into your life where you can be an extension of the great love of God. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that we can greet one another, not just going through a routine, but Lord, we can be, we can allow our feelings to be involved in it. We thank you, Jesus, for the love that you have for each one of us and in turn how we can extend that love to the body of Christ. I pray today, Lord, that we realize that this life is short and heaven is our home. And Paul knew that his time was really short-lived under being under house arrest. He didn't have much time left to live. And so... Lord, we pray that we will pause long enough to realize it's essential that our relationship with you is that priority where it needs to be. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.